Man, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for being here and bringing your part. Listen, church is never the same without you here. And it's powerful when we get together. There's something about the corporate body coming together to celebrate Jesus. Amen. Now, um, this morning, we are going to finish up, I believe, our the series that we've been talking about on offense. And uh, for me personally, it has been great. I had an opportunity again this week. Anybody have a few opportunities? Good. There's a few of us. All right. That's what I'm talking about. So I know that we're hitting some things right the nail on the head here a little bit. Uh, but I'm just so thankful that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding this church family. We are we're going forward together. We're not doing this any man by themselves. This is a family pushing forward. And in Second Corinthians chapter five, I want to pick up here again, because, again, I believe that you and I, we have picked up what the Lord has entrusted to us uh, regarding the call, regarding the, the message, regarding being door openers in this city, in this region for people to encounter the living God. Not just another religion, not just, you know, some religious pious thing, but an actual genuine relationship with King Jesus himself. Man, aren't you thankful for a relationship with Jesus? Do you have one? It's current. It's up to date. It's, there's nothing like it when you actually have a living relationship with Jesus and he's able to direct, he's able to lead, guide, instruct you along the path that you should take. It's wonderful. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, uh, I would encourage you to read through this chapter many times. There's so much, so many good nuggets and truths in here that will really shape the course of our lives. And in, in this case, he talks about that if any person is in Christ, he has been engrafted into Christ, right? No longer the, the old is gone and passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. So what's he saying is that you actually have been in Christed. One translation actually says it, that you are no longer in crisis. You are now in Christ. And you have to allow God to reintroduce you to your old, your brand new self to see who you really are. Because the natural mirror doesn't define you anymore. The culture that you come from doesn't define you anymore. What's your def, who, what defines you now is the word of God because the word of God is a mirror and reveals to us the spiritual truths of who Christ is and who Christ is on the inside of you. So that's why Paul is actually laying all of this out and he said all of this comes from God. So he's saying, in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world. And notice how he was shepherding the world. Notice how Jesus was shepherding the world, not counting the records of their or the people's transgressions. That's not how he shepherded. What did he do? He was entrusted. Oh, sorry, I'll continue reading on. It says he has entrusted to us this same ministry of now opening the door of what? Of reconciliation to God. Reconciliation is a big deal to God. This is the ministry that you have been entrusted with. So what is your calling on this earth? Is to be a door opener. Say it with me. I'm a door opener. Now, Sally, a lot of the church kind of thinks that we have to be bouncers. We dictate who comes in and who stays out. That's not your job. My job is to continually let the door be open. Continually open up with what? With my life, with how I live, with how I work with other people. I'm constantly being aware that I am a door opener, especially to those that may even try my patience. What's the heart? Is they want them to be, see them being reconciled to God. So verse 20, he goes on to say, we are ambassadors. Now, again, you've probably heard this many times throughout your life, but if we can actually grab the fullness of the call that God has entrusted to us, I am his ambassador. How is heaven going to operate in this earth? Through his ambassadors. And the local church is the ambassador of the people that he uses to reach this world. He's using you or I. Man, we are ambassadors of the anointed one. And notice what we're doing. We are carrying the message of Christ to this world. We are carrying the message of Christ to this world. Is the message of Christ good news or bad news? Is it hate? Okay, just making sure. As though God were tenderly pleading with them, those that you connect with, directly through our lips. So he goes on to say, we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. So as I said, because we have taken this role, we've taken it for real. Anybody ever said that we're for real, for realsies? We're actually doing this thing. <clears throat> we have 
taken the next step to what the Lord has called us to do as a church family. We all said yes to this. So now because we've said yes, we have to be conscious that there's an enemy. We have to get our spiritual antennas up so that we are aware of his dealings and his workings. It's really stupid to go through this life and just kind of assume everything's going to work out when you go with the will of God. That's, that's crazy. You have an enemy who hates you, who hates the plan of God, who hates the people that you're trying to reach. He just hates you in general. So we have to be aware, again, you're not born into a playground. You are born into a war zone. Christians, we have to get into a war mentality. And again, how we fight this war, how we do this war, there's, I'm not going to get into that this time. And a lot of times we just say, oh, it's the devil, it's the devil. Yeah, sometimes, but it's also sometimes your mindset that actually hinders things. So what we're doing is we're just saying, King Jesus, here I am. Help me, coach me, teach me, and he'll show you how to work forward in this life. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, again, a verse that we've went over and over, is that the Apostle Paul had told the church to not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. So what is he telling the church? Don't be stupid to how he operates. And a lot of times what happens when you see these types of things, when the Bible says don't be ignorant of the wiles or the intentions, sometimes we as believers, we can become ignorant of that going, well, I'm not quite sure actually how he operates. And so we have taken some serious time to talk about this one particular area, which I believe is to be a major one in these last days, talking about offense. So we as a church family, we see from the word of God to intentionally guard the sweet harmony that God has entrusted to us, that he's worked among us so beautifully, right? It's not not very, like, listen, I don't go everywhere and say, hey, everybody, grab a partner. and We're going to dance till attitude changes. You can't do that everywhere. I've had opportunities and I tried it and I go, hmm, we don't do that. Okay, we don't do that. We'll just, just have a seat then right there. This is what we have here. Don't take for granted. What you have amongst the, the family is a beautiful place. Thank you for your enthusiasm on that. <laughs> All right. Well, let that sit. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there with me for a moment. But whenever we go to a new level or as we transition to a next level... We are aware that an enemy would like to thwart or to stop that from taking place in a powerful way. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, again, the Apostle Paul says, With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate. Say with me, always demonstrate. Always demonstrate. Let's say it about a hundred more times. Always demonstrate. Okay, two more times. Always demonstrate. Always demonstrate. So sometimes when I'm reading my word, I'll just read that over and over and I'm getting it, putting it inside my heart. Always demonstrate. Always. Always. What does that mean? Always. When people are kind, when people are not so kind. Because obviously, for him having to say always demonstrate gentleness, there's going to be times when I'm not going to want to feel or want to do that or feel like doing that. Anybody ever have that before? Yeah. Woo, man. Always, Joel, demonstrate, Joel, gentleness, Joel, and generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. Everybody has a, a name probably when, they, when we read that. But here's a sobering thought. Is somebody thinking about your name? <laughs> just throwing that out there. All right. Just to keep us all on the same page here. Surely not me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, again, moving along. Verse 3. He says, continue or be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in, in bonds of peace. So if I'm called to be faithful to guard something, that means there's someone that's trying to take away or come against what I'm guarding. Right? Anytime you see something, hey, you got to guard this, you got to protect this. Why is that mentioned? Is because someone's after it. So I have to pay attention to this. If he's telling me to guard, I better get my guard up. I better keep thinking on this. So now again, why do we need to guard the sweet harmony? Because we have an enemy that would love to break it up. Now, what hinders a move of God? I want you just to see this verse in Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs 6, it talks about six things that the Lord hates, and then there's a seventh that he just can't stand. And in verse 19, just kind of ended it off. This is what the Lord hates. He said, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who sows discord in a family. What is it? It actually, the, the Passion 
Bible says it like this, stirring up strife between friends. These are entirely despicable to God. So what can actually stop a move of God? Strife, stirring up strife between friends. Stirring something up, allowing that offense to get in, and then I start the chitter-chatter and start talking. It says the Lord hates that. So we're going to get into this a little bit more this morning, talking about getting out of this trap. But again, I want to lay a, a solid foundation for us as we move forward. Because in Luke 17, 1 again, I hope you've memorized this verse by now. This is a promise. Again, not a promise you have on your fridge, but it is a promise. It says, he said to his disciples, and disciples would be us today. He says, it is impossible. Say with me, impossible. Now, who's speaking? I know the words are white on the screen, but on your Bibles... They are red. And he says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. What is he saying? That offenses are coming. <laughs> All right, I'm glad I'm happy about that. <laughs> Same with Leanne. She wore a happy shirt. I'm thankful that we have a, a Savior who actually gives us a heads up to some of these things. Could you imagine if he didn't say anything about any of this and just go, I just do your best. When hurts come, what do I do? And so he's saying heads up because they're going to be coming. So what does that do to me? It's not go, I start living in fear and I don't trust anybody anymore. No, it's going, okay, I got to keep my heart postured correctly because they're about to come. Now, again, that word offense in the Greek is scandalon, where we get our English word scandal. And so Jesus is literally saying, as long as you're on this earth, offense will come. The trap of the enemy is offense. That's his trap. And if he can trap you or I in his cage, then he actually has us working and doing his errands for him. Now, remember, whenever you encounter offense, you will come out of it changed. Either better or stronger. Either one. So we might as well choose to get stronger in it. And we kind of went over that last week. Do you all remember that? Anybody else remember that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we've talked at length about offense because Jesus said in Matthew 24 that in the last days, many, many, many will be offended. And he lists the progression of how that works. It's a very slippery slope. From an offended heart, you see betrayal taking place. And from this betrayal, it actually is hatred towards one another. And an offended heart, Jesus said, is the breeding ground for deception. This is why you have to keep your guard against offense. Because once an offended heart takes place, I now become breeding ground for deception. And what's the problem with deception? It's deceiving. When you think you are 100% right, but in fact you are 100% wrong, that's a tough place to get to. So this is why Jesus is warning us in these last days, you've got to pay attention. Warning, warning, warning. It's like that big red light that's flashing above. Heads up, heads up. Hey church, disciples, heads up, heads up. Many will be offended in these last days. Not us, not me. I can't make that decision for you, but I'm taking it for me. Not me. I refuse to be offended. Why? Because I don't want to go down this whole slippery slope. And on top of it, imagine living deceived. How frustrated is that? Would that be? I mean, and what do we live in? I mean, one of the things that you, you could talk to anybody on this world and you could say, what's, what's the problem with, with a lot of people today? We would just say deception. People are deceived. We saw that over the course of these last three years, have we not? Deceptions run rampant. So a question we have to ask is, why are people easily deceived? Because of an offended heart. This is how the enemy gets in. The hook is offense. Once you... Take the hook. Guess what takes place is now it all goes down this spiral hill. And now you're wondering, how did I get here? It all started with a deceived heart or sorry, an offended heart. So now how do I escape this trap of offense? Now, I want you just to keep in the back of your head. Second Corinthians 520 when he says we are now ambassadors. So it's not just you and I surviving this planet. Till we get out of here, we have to carry a bit of a higher goal here. And it's, I'm actually here to ambassador this planet with heaven's culture. 
That's why I'm here. I'm on this planet Earth to reveal who Jesus is, to showcase how good and kind and forgiving he is. I'm also here to show that, hey, I'm not easily offended because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. So I need to learn how to escape this trap so I can reveal heaven's culture on this earth. Won't you think that'd be fair? Good thing to know. So the one way to escape the trap of offense is forgiveness. Forgiveness. It is the central theme of the gospel. It's what the whole gospel is all about. Forgiveness. Say it. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is what it's all about. Now, I don't want it to be so simple that we kind of miss the power of what it is. Jesus talks so much about forgiveness and he had to amplify it because again, remember he, a lot of times who he ministered to and his disciples, they were people of the law. What was the law? An eye for an eye. You kick my dog, I kick yours. That's what it was. But now Jesus started talking about forgive one another. Pray for those who persecute you. Are you kidding me? Can I just hit them? That was the law. So we knew that. So when Jesus came and brought this in, all throughout his ministry, you can see that in Matthew chapter 5, the very beginning when his ministry launched, all the way to even Mark chapter 11, you see it in verse 25 and 26. That was one week before his crucifixion. Jesus continually talked to his disciples about forgiveness. Forgiveness. So obviously there's something about forgiving that reveals the culture of heaven and absolutely releases what the gospel is all about. And you and I are here to be ambassadors of this kingdom, so we've got to learn how to forgive properly. Is it always easy? No. But if Jesus can do it while hanging on the cross, while they're putting nails into his hands, and say, Father, forgive them, that's the example that he laid out for us. So I've got to learn how to follow this example. We still okay here? Okay, so Matthew chapter 18. Let's go here together. (laughs) What we're doing this morning is we're just going to work out. Remember last week we had to do some spiritual crunches. We did some spiritual push-ups. Robert came up here, looked so gracefully, and I was like to hit him with the chair. I, his mom was in the crowd, so I did not do it because I didn't know Mama was there. So, good thing I didn't. Is Robert here today? Amen. I, oh, there he is. Hey, Robert. <laughs> Your mama's not here today, so game on, sir. Game on. <laughs> All right, verse twenty-one. <clears throat> now it says Peter. Now again, remember Peter. So he's the guy that has walked on water. He's seen a few things. He got included in the Mount Transfiguration. So a lot of times Peter's kind of got this attitude. I've got about one or two steps up above all the disciples because there was constantly this competition between the 12 disciples, right? And so now Peter comes up to him and says, hey, uh, how many times do I have to forgive my my who? (laughs) My who? My fellow believer. Not the world. My fellow believer. So look at your neighbor and say, that's you. (laughs) <laughs> how many times and he goes on to say uh, so let me read the question how many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me seven times Peter I bet you is expecting this Peter seven t- well done man that's what I'm talking about you are really grown up to be a man of God verse 22 kind of turns into a little bit of a slap in the face he turns around Jesus answered Seven times? No, 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 no. Seven times 70. Uh, What's that number? 490 times in a day. So you know what that equals out to? I did the math. Somebody sins against me every three minutes. That's also if we don't go to sleep. (laughs) So how much am I supposed to forgive? Every three minutes. They've wronged me again and again and again. Jesus went on. Basically, the whole purpose behind this is it's unlimited. He wants you and I to take on heaven's culture. He wants you and I to be ambassadors on this earth. So Jesus is really coaching in this parable. He's going to be coaching you and I for forgiveness and reconciliation. Saying this is how it's done. So seven times. Great, Peter. You forgot the time 70 part. So 490 times, and again, it's not the number. It's not like, okay, you got to 400 or 491. That is it. It's done. Game over. I'm slapping you now. That's not the point of what he's saying. 
He's saying behind all of this, it's to showcase the father's forgiveness. His heart towards his children is it's unlimited forgiveness. And he continues on now. I want you to see in verse 23. And before we read this, a lot of times when Jesus laid out a parable, a disciple or someone would come and say, could you explain this to us? Right? You see that a lot. Master, we don't quite get it. Could you explain that a little bit more? Well, in this parable that we're about to read here, Jesus didn't have to wait for anybody to say, can you explain this? He, out of his own self, said, I need you guys to get this, so I'm going to explain it to you. You have to understand this because this is the mark of a new creature in Christ Jesus. This is the mark of becoming a citizen of heaven is this is who you and I are. Whoop, whoop. Okay. Jesus said the lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. There once was a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasury and he decided to settle accounts which, with each of them. As he began the process, it came to his attention that one of his servants owed him $1 billion. Now, is that an impayable debt in your lifetime? If anybody said, no, I'd like to talk to you about the church building we were about to purchase. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Owing $1 billion. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, Pay me what you owe me. Verse 25. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned as payment toward his debt. Now question here, is that harsh? It's actually fair. Everything about this is fair. He owed that money, sell them all. That was, again, the culture that we had, that, they, that they were, Jesus was operating in. Sell them all until you're able to repay back. What did Jesus do for us? Jesus is laying out here this unpayable debt. It's actually that servant is you. Say it, it's me. This unpayable debt, we talk about a billion dollars. We owe debt beyond what money could ever purchase. We forgot what we had done to Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see this for a sec. Jesus wiped out. Say with me. Wiped out. Come on. Wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against me. Against me not meaning, well, these were bad things that were coming my way. No, this, all the notes, all the, listen, there was a legal form with your name on it of all the sins that you and I have committed. Joel Housing, and he some of you are laughing because your list is just as big and it just goes on and on but what did he do he wiped it all out the handwriting of requirements that was against me which was again contrary to me and he has taken it out of the way nailing it to his cross the a, a, a payment I could never pay with this lifetime. I couldn't pay it in the next life. There is no way for me as an individual to pay off the debt that I had committed against a holy and just God. There's no way. Not enough time on this planet, not enough money on this earth, not enough blood from all the animals on this earth. There is no way for me to actually bring a sacrifice and say, I think this covers the list. Will this work? And every time the, the God, the judge would have to say, no, it does not. <sighs> Lock them up. I deserve, you and I, we deserve hell. We deserve eternal flame. We deserve, and Isaiah 66 talks about a worm that never sleep and constantly eats the flesh. We deserve that every single day for eternity. That's what I deserve. But God... Something about those two words, but God, and you find that throughout the scriptures, but God, with my whole list, he saw to it that this king, this beautiful savior would come to a cross and he'd actually nail all the transgressions that I personally ever committed and he'd put them on the cross, wipe it completely away. 
What a relief. What a, oh, I can breathe the weight of my sin. I can breathe again. And that's why I think this shirt that Leanne was wearing, happy, you actually see that in Romans chapter 4. It says, happy is the man whose transgressions the Lord doesn't hold against anymore. Happy. Man, if nothing, at least you could start there and say, I'm not going to hell. And I can just start rejoicing, getting happy. I'm a forgiven child of God. That's who you are. That's what I am. I'm forgiven. Heaven is not a good place where good people are. It's a place where people who are forgiven are. Man, we will worship this king. We will thank him for his blood all throughout eternity because that is the blood that has rescued us forever and ever to have eternity with a holy God that I didn't deserve. So now going back to this parable, Matthew 18, 26. Now we just read like, this is what you owe me. Sell his family, get rid of them all. Sell all these God until he's able to pay me back. The servant threw himself face down at his master's feet. Does this sound kind of like an altar call for, uh, for those church folk? Begging for mercy, please be patient with me. Just give me one more time and I will repay you all that I owe. And look at this, verse 27. Notice the, the master didn't say, okay, that sounds good. Listen, I want you to see the parallel of heaven's culture and how even this guy thought. Lord, I'll, I'll pay it back, I'll pay it back. And sometimes even you or I have in those thoughts. I'll pay it back, I'll pay it back. Upon hearing uh, his plea, the king had compassion on his servant, and I love this word, and released him. Can you just say that with me? Release. Released. He released him, and he forgave his entire debt. There's something, even those words, I was reading that last night, and that word just hit me. Release. I've been released of so much. Thank you, God. And he forgave his entire debt. And we're talking just $1 billion in this illustration. But from a spiritual perspective, man, what I owed our father now, you can't even start putting names to it. It's, it's too much. But he released you and I of that debt. He doesn't even hold that sin over you. He doesn't go, oh, remember that, that one time? He has completely released it and he forgave the debt. Now, Going back into this, now we're going to focus in. Like now we saw just the culture of heaven, but now we're going to see a problem with this servant who didn't catch the culture of heaven and being a servant. They were talking about someone who knows the master. We're someone talking about who knows king, the, the king here, okay? Now, verse 28, this servant, no sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants. So another brother or sister in Christ Jesus, correct? Can we, can we see that from this illustration? We okay with saying that? Who owed him $20,000. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him saying, you'd better pay me right now everything you owe me. Now, $20,000 compared to a billion, I'd rather have 10% off the 1 billion than the $20,000. Verse 29, his fellow servant, same situation, threw himself face down at his feet and begged, please be patient with me. If you'll just give me time, I will repay you all that is owed. Now, what this guy had, I mean, he owed him $20,000, correct? 100 days work, another translation. And again, it's not just necessarily a small amount. It's, hey, I worked for three months and you owe me 20 grand. You owe me that $20,000. That's fair. But he forgot what he had just been forgiven of himself. Continuing on, verse 30. But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant, where did he throw him? Into his prison. And this is why you see Jesus talk about so many times, don't judge. Why? Because when you hold unforgiveness in your heart, you are putting people in your prison saying, you have to pay me back until I think it's fair. Oh, who made you judge? So unforgiveness is holding and festering that. He had his fellow servant thrown into his prison and demanded he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. Verse 31. Then when the associates saw what was going on, they were ticked off and went to the king and told him the whole story. The king said to him, 
You scoundrel. Other translations say, you wicked servant. Is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me, I forgave you the massive debt that you owed me. Why didn't you show? No, notice this. This is ambassador language right here. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed you? This says a lot to me right here that I actually can release people of their sin. I'm not God in the sense of going, oh, thou art forgiven. The blood of Jesus forgave you, but I can actually do the same releasing that my father has done for me. Instead of holding on to these grudges, I release you. I'm not going to carry that grudge. Why didn't you show that same mercy that I showed you? Verse 34, in a fury of anger, the king turned to him, turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was repaid. Now, this is a big pill to swallow. What, what are the torturers? What are the prison guards? That's demonic activity. When you hold unforgiveness in your heart, you fester on it day and night. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking, I can't believe that they did this. Whether you realize it or not, the devil is toying with your mind. He is eating your lunch and then popping the bag. <laughs> Sticking it to you. And we just keep thinking, I can't believe that so-and-so. Why, why would they say that? You are holding this on. Verse 35, in the same way, my heavenly father, now Jesus gives the explanation right here, my heavenly father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart towards your fellow believer. What is required as children of God, as ambassadors of God, I am called to release forgiveness from my heart that I've received. So a question that I want to ask us today. Oh, is why is it so hard for Christians to forgive others? I'll give two just answers that I'm just milling in my heart. Number one is this. Because we've categorized sin. We have the big ones. Like adultery. Ugh. Homosexuality. Ugh. Lies. It's all you can list off these the big ones, and then the other little ones, they're just issues. Like gossip, unforgiveness, slander. Those are little things, but somebody committed some big one to me, so mm, that's it. Listen, sin is sin. A this is Billy Graham's statement. Billy Graham said this a big rock and a little rock all sink to the bottom. Christians like to go, oh, well, they committed the unpardonable sin. They committed adultery. Yeah, it, it's wrong. But you lied. What's the difference? Oh, you have no idea how, man, that person just been cheating and cheating and cheating and cheating. Yeah, but I heard you slander at a coffee shop the other day. So we've categorized these sin that these are big. Oh, man, those need a lot of attention. And then we got these little ones. I'm really finding this in my own heart. When I start treating gossip the same way I would treat murder... I get free from gossip. Rather than having these categories and going, well, there's murder and then there's gossip and slander. Those aren't so bad. Sin is sin. Unforgiveness is sin. When I carry it in my heart, it is sin. And what I've been finding, unforgiveness in my heart actually is dulling my relationship with my heavenly father because I'm forgetting what I have been forgiven of. I need mercy in my life. So when I look at somebody else, I go, they need mercy in their life too. <laughs> we all need mercy, do we not? Yeah. Just touch your neighbor's shoulder and say, Lord, they need mercy. <laughs> I need mercy. <laughs> now another part, why is it hard for Christians to, to forgive others? It's kind of what I've mentioned is we've forgotten or haven't gotten a revelation of how forgiven we are. Forgiveness, again, is the central theme of the gospel. And when I get a revelation that I have been forgiven of God, I can pass this on to others. There's nothing like it. Being, having this revelation that I'm, I'm released of sin, there's no consciousness of sin. Listen, sin consciousness is why a lot of people are even still sick in their bodies. 
Sin consciousness is still a reason why a lot of people have lack of confidence when they walk around. They just kind of look like they're defeated. What's a big problem in that? I'm not saying it's the major. It is a problem is that there's sin consciousness around. They're constantly aware of, I've messed up, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've sinned, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I did that again, I failed again, I failed again. What you need is you need to wake up to righteousness so you can sin no more. A lot of times we're trying to get rid of sin and I got to stop doing this, stop doing this. God's going, stop! I wiped all of that out. I need you to become aware of now who you are through my son's blood. I need you to get that because when you see that, now everything, perspective changes completely and all of those things that maybe you used to have a hard time with or deal with or those, those little secret sins that nobody else knows about, they fall off of you. Why? Because you got a revelation of who you are. Why couldn't the devil kill Jesus? He knew who he was. And that same power, that same revelation is all throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul fought hard to get this gospel, this New Testament into our hands. And really, what are Paul's letters? They are the words of Jesus that Jesus didn't utter while he was still alive. So he gave them to Paul and said, Paul, give this to my church. So you and I, we are not doing ourselves a favor by, uh, a fa- favor by not spending time in this book and finding out who I am, what belongs to me, and allowing these words now to permeate my heart and go, no, 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 I'm not that guy anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How long do you do that? Until mind renewal kicks in, and every time that sin now tries to pop up, you go, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Just get out of here. This is who I am in Christ Jesus. Now you shut that thing up. That's how we fight this. Now, as I said, we, forgot, we haven't gotten the full revelation, so I want to see his forgiveness. When did Jesus forgive us? Before we ever said sorry. Before. Whew. Before I ever said, Jesus, I'm sorry. He already said, I forgave you. When were we reconciled to Jesus? The moment I turned and I said, Lord, I want you as my Lord and I want you as my Savior. So forgiveness and reconciliation are different. And I want to take a few minutes just to share on that. But forgiveness is where it begins. Jesus created an atmosphere of goodness that grabbed my heart and wanted and got me to turn to him. This is what religion doesn't get. Religion thinks you have to push it and push it and push it and say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. That is true. But that's not the good news. The good news is Jesus paid for all sin so you could be connected to him. So sometimes what Jesus came to do, Jesus came and he created an atmosphere of love so that we could be now reconciled to the Father. Look at this in Romans 2, 4. It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What caused my heart to turn and want to give my entire life to him? What caused God to all of a sudden get me to go, hey, I want to be part of your financial system, that I give my life, everything I've got, God, I'm going it all back to you. How does he do those things? He creates an atmosphere where you want to turn. And sadly, not this church, other places create the opposite of what God just created. The only way you get in is if they, as door bouncers, kind of go, mm, well, you've done one, two, three, yeah, okay, then you can come on in. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. You're not God. You're not the culture setter here. You are responding to the mercy that he showed you. So what do I do? I create that same atmosphere here. And that's what we long to do here. And that's what we're doing together as a church family is creating an atmosphere where the world doesn't go, oh, man, I, I, I don't actually deserve it. None of us do. So what do we do? The same love and same goodness of God that we were changed by, we showcase it here. Oh, you got to be perfect. No, 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 no. You have to allow the culture of heaven to allow that to take place. Okay, showing again. What Jesus did, Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11. Again, we're just seeing how Jesus forgave. It says, for when the time was right, the anointed one came and he died. And he demonstrated his love for sinners who were entirely helpless. They were weak and powerless to save themselves. 
Now who of us would ever dare, would even dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? Anybody? Anybody want to lay down their life for Hitler? We go fat chance. Well, we could all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. We consider it. Well, but Christ. There is another but God. Well, I'm not dying for that guy. That guy's an idiot. But God proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still so much more to say of his unfailing love to us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration. This is what he said to us. You are right. What does that do to you? And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I will never experience the wrath of God. All Christians got to experience once in a while. That's not what my Bible says. Because of what Jesus did, I will never experience his wrath. So, if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? Even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of being reconciled to God all because of Jesus Christ. You can just take some time and meditate on those verses until you get, it dawns on you and you see, oh man, I've been forgiven. Before I even said, sorry, he already had he had his eye on me and so when I just said I'm sorry his grace and his love was right there to say I've forgiven you now I want to go with some practical things here for a moment the practical step is this forgiveness it takes one it is unconditional it's actually commanded if we are going to be children of God it's required that we forgive but reconciliation takes two meaning there is a condition on it you not necessarily can you get reconciliation between two people. Why? Because you are not in charge of somebody else. You can't force reconciliation on somebody. But what you can do from your own heart, from even at a distance to go, I forgive. I've released them. I'm able to do that on my own. I can I control if I forgive, but I can't control if there's reconciliation. So Jesus is coaching us on how to reconcile because he positioned us for reconciliation. Again, how did he position us? He created an atmosphere. What's the atmosphere? It's good here. It's kind. It's loving here. Yeah, I'll, I'll turn to this kind God. But now, this has to be carried out through natural people living on this earth who have feelings, who have emotions, who go through stuff, who have hard times. How does that work out? Anybody know? Please, somebody tell me, because this... Now, there's two ways. Oh, let me read this out to us. Jesus forgave us before we got reconciled. Can I say this to you? People are waiting for someone to cancel their debt. People are looking for that. They're longing for that. Because the gospel isn't, hey, if you repent and turn, and you know, if you, if you confess all of your sins, you're in. No, it's if you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus has already remitted them. People do not go to hell for sinning. Talk about the verb of actual doing bad things. They go to hell for the rejection of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Church, we got to get that. Oh, they're so bad. I can't believe they're living that lifestyle. They are so bad. Count them out. They're out. That's not why they go to hell. Why do they? It's because of a rejection of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what do we do? We have to introduce them through this door. Look at how good. Look at how kind. Look at how magnificent this Jesus is. He loves you. His face is turned towards you. His arms are wide open. The fact that even you would just turn to him and say, I want you. Heaven throws a barbecue? Are you kidding me? Like this is the culture of what heaven does. It gets excited. It gets thrilled. And meanwhile, the church is kind of, I hold off on that barbecue. They got a lot of things to fix down here before you throw any meat barbecues going on over there. And God's going, stop it. 
Get in here. I'll clean you up. There's stuff that no person can do on their own to get fixed. Only the presence of God is able to do some of those things. And you only get access because of what the forgiving Jesus has done on my behalf. I'm forgiven means I got full access. I got to finish this off. Now, there's two reasons. There's two um, areas where offense could come in. I've offended someone or someone has offended me. What do I do here? If I've offended someone, Matthew chapter 5, if you turn there real quickly with me in the Bible for a sec, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. Do you mind if I read this to you real quick? I don't want to leave you hanging on this. Matthew 5, if you guys don't mind, just turn down the music a little bit here. I know it's a very nice added, but I feel like I'm yelling and then I'm Verse 25, Matthew 5, verse 24, sorry, 23. So then if you are presenting a gift before the altar, and that gift could be your tithe, it could be prayer, it could be your time, you have a presenting a gift before the altar, and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go at once to apologize to the one who is offended. Then after you are reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. What is he saying with that? That it's, there's some urgency attached to that. Why? Because when there is division or strife between two people within the body, it actually disunifies the body of Christ. He's saying, you got to go patch that up real quick. And when I go into this situation, real practically speaking, my posture is not suck it up. I, Get over yourself. I didn't say it like that. My posture is, I've hurt you. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going there for you. I'm not going there for me. I'm going there for you. So I have to be ready that they still may be hurt after what I said or something I did or didn't do. So they may have a little bit of backlash. I have to be prepared for some of those things. But this is the part of reconciliation. I've, I've hurt you and I'm... Julian, I, I'm sorry. The way that I said that about your shirt, I'm, I'm sorry. I, that wasn't right of me to say that, and I'm, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And he could still have up these feelings of, well, what makes you the right to even think that way? I bought this, and it would cost me a lot of money, blah, 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 blah. I have to be ready for that. But again, what's my posture is I'm going there for him. I'm not coming there for me. I'm going there for him. And once reconciliation takes place, what do I do? I run back to the altar. Oh, I can present my gift. Okay, here we go. I can move forward again. Now, on the other hand, if someone has hurt me, Matthew chapter 18, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but now there's two different types of hurts, people that are genuinely hurt and people who think they've been hurt. Just because your boss says, hey, I need you to be here on time, stop showing up late, you're not hurt, get there on time. Well, they just hurt my feelings. No. Your character needs a good development. You need to show up on time. So there's difference in that. Well, they just hurt my feelings. No, you sleep in too long. Like, do you know what I'm saying with that? So those that have been genuinely hurt, I've been hurt from someone. Matthew 18, 15 says that I'm supposed to actually go to that person and have it out with them, talk with them privately. So what I'm not doing is I'm going around talking to other people about what so-and-so has done. Now, can I just tell you a really good reason why I, I found this out, this word discernment. It's a really popular Christian word for Christians to be jerks sometimes, right? Discernment. Oh, I just discern that you're an idiot. Yeah, you're a jerk yourself. Discernment, actually, if you kind of look study about what it means, it's the ability to see the light in the distance. The ability to see the light in the distance. So... If, I'm, if I've been offended and hurt, what I'm not going to do is I'm going to come out. I'm not here to re-vomit all the problems that you caused me to go through. All the hate. I think, yeah, you said this and you did this. I've been prayed up. I've come in this place of I forgive and I release you. Don't just meet up with the person right after the offense happens because you probably are still open wounded. You got to get that thing healed. You got to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm hurt. And allow him to patch that up on the inside of you so that you can properly go to your brother now and say, hey, what you said or what you did, this, this hurt me. This caused some pain in me. And like, I, I'm, I forgive you, but I have to, we have to work this thing out. I, I, I can't move forward like this. And what discernment does, it's actually calling into what 
seeing what's on the inside of them, the light that they are, the light that they have. God doesn't just call those things which are as though they're not. He actually calls those things which be not as though they were. So God is like seeing into the light. It's you and I actually getting the eyes of God seeing they're not going to be like this all their life. There's going to be a change of heart. So don't just call them and saying, you are a ba ba ra ba 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 And you start going off. What you want to do is start calling the light of seeing the way God sees them. Oh, I see a change. And start seeing, oh, there's actually a change coming where that, where that harshness of heart will be turned because you are going to encounter God. So I'm not coming at him at the situation, the circumstance. I'm looking down the road and seeing, oh, Father, you, you have a good plan for this guy. You got a good plan for him. So, Lord, I'm, I'm going to come with that heart and that attitude. I'm coming with a forgiving heart, and we're going to work this thing out. Does that make sense? So either I've offended somebody, and what do I do? I said, hey, I, I need to go make this right. I hurt you. I heard, you know, like Javen told me, Julian, that you, you don't like that. I said something about your shirt. I, I need to, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean that, man. And I need to make that right with him. Right? Can you see? I have to make that right. Oh, they'll just forgive. We have to forgive. Yes, but we're talking now about reconciliation. Forgiveness is automatic for you and I. We, that's a privilege that we have because of how forgiven God has given us. But reconciliation, there is a working out on how that works. Amen? So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I just ask you, sir, thank you, first and foremost, for your kindness towards us, your goodness that has caused us to turn, that you created an atmosphere where we can experience your kindness, your goodness. Lord, we get to serve you. We get to love you. We get to be part of your, of your kingdom here on this earth and for eternity. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Lord, we're asking you because the same love that Jesus operated by, the same love that he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, is the same love you've placed on the inside of me because I've made Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, thank you for that love. And Lord, I now I activate that love on the inside. And I just say with my heart, I release and I forgive. Say with me, I release and I forgive. Come on, just get that picture. I release and I forgive. Let the love of God for that individual just flow from within you. Lord, we pray over those that have persecuted or have said nasty things. Lord, bless them. Lord, bless their families. We ask you for your protection over them. Lord, we thank you that you have given them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Lord Jesus, that they would know you like any person can on this earth so intimately and personally. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for your favor following them all the days of their life, that wherever they tone or turn, your goodness is there to meet them. We ask you for that for them, sir, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.